Chapter Thirteen of *The Dust Flower* by Basil King. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter Thirteen. Making her nod suffice for a good night. Letty, with the red volume of Hans Andersen under her arm, passed out into the hall. It was not easy to carry herself with the necessary nonchalance, but she got strength by saying inwardly, "Here's where I begin to walk on blades." The knowledge that she was doing it, and that she was doing it toward an end, gave her a dignity of carriage which Allerton watched with sharpened observation. Reaching the little back spare-room, she found the door open, and Steptoe sweeping up the hearth before a newly lighted fire. Beppo, whose basket had been established here, jumped from his shelter to pour up at her caressingly. With the hearth-brush in his hand, Steptoe raised himself to say, Madeline, excuse me, but I thought as the evening was chilly. He doesn't want me to stay. She brought out the fact abruptly, lifelessly, because she couldn't keep it back. The calm she had been able to maintain downstairs was breaking up with a quivering of the lip and two rolling tears. Slowly and absently, Steptoe dusted his left hand with the hearth-brush held in his right. "'If Madam's going to decide her life but what another person wants, she ain't never going to get nowhere.' There were tears now in the voice. "'Yes, but when it's him—him or anybody else, we all have to fight for what we means to make of our own life. It's a poor game in which I don't ply my hand, for all I think it'll win.' "'Do you mean that I should act independent?' "'Haven't Madam an independent life?' "'Having an independent life don't make it easy to stay where you're not wanted.' "'Oh, if Madame are looking first for what's easy—' "'I'm not. I'm looking first for what he'll like.' Hanging the hearth-brush in its place, he took the tongs to adjust a smoking log. "'I've been looking for what he'd like ever since he was born, and now I see that getting so much of what he liked hasn't been good for him. If Madame will strike out on her own line, whether he liked it or not, and keep at it till he had to like it. Oh, but when it's... She sought for the right word. When it's so humiliating... Humiliating things is not so hard to bear once you've made up your mind as there to be born. He put up the tongs to busy himself with the poker. Madam will find that humiliation is a good deal like that there quinine. Bitter the tice, but strengthening. I've swallowed lots of it. And look at me to die. I know as well as he does that it's all been a crazy mistake. I was reading the other day. I'm fond of a good book, I am. Occupies the mind, like. But I was reading about a circus man in South Africa, what he might a mistake and took the wrong trial. And just when he was a-giving himself up for lost among the tigers and the coloured savages, he found he'd tumbled on a mine of diamonds. Big house in Park Line in London now, and his daughter married to a lord. "'Oh, I've tumbled into the mine of diamonds, all right. "'The question is, if Madame really tumbled, "'or was led by the hand of Providence?' "'She laughed ruefully. "'If that was it, the hand of Providence would have to have some pretty funny ways.' "'I've often heard as the wise of Providence was strange, "'but I ain't so often heard as Providence had got to make em strange "'to keep pace with the wise of man. "'Now, if the hand of Providence had picked out Madame for Mr. Rash,' It'd have to do something out of the common, as you might say, 
to bring together them as man has put so far apart. He looked round the room with the eye of a head waiter inspecting a table in a restaurant. Madam has everything? Well, if there's anything else, she's only got to ring. Buying himself out, he went down the stairs to attend to those duties of the evening which followed the return of the master of the house. In the library and the dining room he saw to the window fastenings, and put out the one light left burning in each room. In the hall he locked the door with the complicated locks which had helped to guarantee the late Mrs. Allerton against burglars. There was not only a bolt, a chain, and an ordinary lock, but there was an ingenious double lock which turned the wrong way when you thought you were turning it the right, and could otherwise baffle the unskilful. Occupied with this task, he could peep over his shoulder through the unlighted front drawing-room, and see his adored one standing on the hearth-rug, his hands clasped behind him, and his head bent, in an attitude of meditation. Steptoe, having much to say to him, felt the nervousness of a Prime Minister going into the presence of a Sovereign who might or might not approve his acts. It was at once the weakness and the strength of his position that his rule was based on an unwritten constitution. Being unwritten, it allowed of a borderland where powers were undefined. Powers being undefined, his scope was the more easily enlarged, though now and then he found that, that the sovereign rebelled against the mayor of the palace, and had to be allowed his way. But the sovereign was nursing no seeds of the kind of discontent which Steptoe was afraid of. As a matter of fact, he was thinking of the way in which Letty had left the room. The perspective, the tea-gown, the effectively dressed hair, enabled him to perceive the combination of results which Madame Simone had called de l'élégance naturelle. She had that. He could see it as he hadn't seen it hitherto. It must have given what value there was to her poor little rolls in motion pictures. Now that his eye had caught it, it surprised, and to some degree disturbed, him. It was more than the showgirl's inane prettiness, or the comely waxwork face of the girl on the cover of a magazine. With due allowance for her Anglo-Saxonism and honesty, she was the type of woman to whom things happen. Things would happen to her, Allerton surmised, beyond anything she could experience in his cumbrous and antiquated house. This queer episode would drop behind her as an episode and no more, and in the multitude of future incidents she would almost forget that she had known him. He hoped to God that it would be so, and yet... He was noting, too, that she hadn't taxed him in the way of calling on his small supply of nervous energy. Rather, she had spared it, and he felt himself rested. After a talk with Barbara, he was always spent. Her emotional furies demanded so much of him that they used him up. This girl, on the contrary, was soothing. He didn't know how she was soothing, but she was. He couldn't remember when he had talked to a woman the so little thought of what he was to say and how he was to say it and heaven only knew that the things to be said between them were nerve-wracking enough. But they'd come out of their own accord, those nerve-wracking things. Probably, he reasoned, because she was a girl of inferior class, with whom he didn't have to be particular. She was quick, too, to catch the difference between his speech and her own. She was quick, and pathetic. Her self-correction amused him, with a strain of pity in his amusement. If a girl like that had only had a chance. 
and just then Steptoe broke in on his musing by entering the room. The first subject to be aired was that of the changes in the household staff, and Steptoe raised it diplomatically. Mrs. Courage and Jane had taken offence at the young lady's presence, and packed themselves off in dishonourable haste. Had it not been that two men-friends of his own were ready to come at an hour's notice, the house would have been servantless till he had procured strangers. No condemnation could be too severe for Mrs. Courage and Jane, for not content with leaving the house in dudgeon, they had insulted the young lady before they went. Sooner or later they would have gone, anyhow. For this long time back they have been too big for their boots, as you might sigh. If Mr. Rash had married the other young lady, she wouldn't have stood em a week. It don't do to keep servants too long, not when they've got no more than a menial mind, which Jiny and Mrs. Courage haven't. The minute they heard that this young lady was in the house, and beautiful the way she took it, Mr. Rash, I never seen nothing finer on the stage nor in the moving pictures. Like a young queen she was, her telling em that she hadn't come to this house to turn out of it them as had had it as their own like, and that she put it up to them. If they went, she'd stye, but if they stied, she'd go. She's going anyhow. Stepto moved away to feel the fastings of the back windows. That'll be a relief to us, sir, won't it? he said, without turning his head. "'It'll make things easier, certainly.' "'I was just hoping that it might be, well, not too soon.' "'What do you mean by too soon?' "'Well, sir, I've been thinking it over during the day, just as you told me to do this morning, and I figure out—' On a table near him he began to arrange the disordered books and magazines. "'I figure out that if she was to go, it'd be better in a way agreeable to all concerned.' It wouldn't do, I says to myself, for Mr. Rash to bring a young woman into this house and have her go away, feeling anything but glad she'd come. <laughs> That'll be some job. It'll be some job, sir, but it'll be worth it. It ain't only on the young lady's account. It'll be on Mr. Rash's. On Mr. Rash's? How? The magazines lapping over each other in two long lines, he straightened them with little pats. "'What I suppose you mean to do, sir, is to get out of this matrimony "'and enter into the other as you thought as you wasn't going to enter into.' "'Well?' "'And when you'd enter into the other, you wouldn't want it on your mind, but "'on your conscience, as you might sigh, "'that there was a young lady in the world as you'd done a kind of wrong to.' "'Adderton took three strides across the corner of the room "'and three strides back to the fireplace again. "'How am I going to escape that?' She says she won't let me give her any money. Oh, money! Stepto brushed money aside as if it had no value. She wouldn't, of course, not her sort. But what is her sort? She seemed one thing yesterday, and today she's another. That's something like what I mean. That young lady has growed more in twenty-four hours than lots of grow in twenty-four years. He considered her best to express himself further. "'Did Mr. Rash ever notice that it isn't being born of a certain kind of family "'as your Mike, a man, a gentleman?' "'Of course he did. "'But did he ever notice that a man will often not be born of a certain kind of family, "'and yet be a gentleman all the same?' "'I know what you're driving at, but it depends on what you mean by a gentleman.' "'And I couldn't hardly sigh. "'Not no more than I could tell you what the smell of a flower was, "'not even while you was a-smelling of it.' 
You know a gentleman's a gentleman, and you may think it's this or that what makes him so, but there ain't no why to put it into words. Now you, Mr. Rush, anybody'd know you was a gentleman what merely looked at you through a telescope. But you couldn't explain it, not if you was took all to pieces like the works of a clock. It ain't nothing you do and nothing you say, because if it was to go by that... Good Lord, stop, we're not talking about me. No, Mr. Rash, we're talking about the queer thing it is what makes a gentleman, and I say that I can't say. But I know. Now, take Eugene. He's just a chauffeur. But no one couldn't be ten minutes with Eugene and not know he's a gentleman through and through. Obliging, good-mannered, modest, polite, to the very cat he is, and always with that nice smile. Would you sigh as Eugene was a gentleman, if anybody was to ask you, Mr. Rash? If they asked me from that point of view, yes, probably. But what has that got to do with it? It has this to do with it, that when you ask me what sort that young lady is, I have to reply as she's not the sort to accept money from strange gentlemen, because it ain't what she's after. Then what on earth is she after? Whatever is it, she can have it, if I can only find out what it is. A step to answer this in his own way. It's very hard for the poor to see so much that's good and beautiful in the world. I know that they can't have none of it. I felt that myself before I worked up to where I am now. Here in New York, a poor boy or a poor girl can't go out to the street without seeing the things they're criving for in their insides flaunted to them like, shook in their faces. Well, the law and the police and the church and everything what makes our life says to em, there's none of this for you. Well, money would buy it, wouldn't it? Money would buy it if money knew what to buy. But it don't. Mr. Rash must have noticed that there's nothing helplesser than the people with money what don't know how to spend it. I used to be that why myself when I'd have a little cash. I wouldn't know what to blow myself to what wouldn't be like them vulgar new rich. But the new rich is vulgar, only because our life has put the horse before the cart with them, as you might say, in giving them the money before showing them what to do with it. Having straightened the lines of magazines to the last fraction of an inch, he found a further excuse for lingering by moving back into their accustomed places the chairs which had been disarranged. "'You have to get the same kind of hang of things as you and me've got, Mr. Rash, to know what it is you want.' and how to spend your money wise-like. Pleasure isn't just in having things, it's in knowing what's good to have and what ain't. Now, this young lady'd be like a child with a dime sent into a ten-cent store to buy whatever he'd like. There's so many things and all the same price that he's kind of confused-like. First he thinks it'll be one thing, and then he thinks it'll be another, and he ends by taking the wrong thing because he didn't have nothing to tell him how to choose. Mr. Rash wouldn't want a young lady to whom he's indebted, as you might say, to be like that. Now would he? It doesn't seem to me that I've got anything to do with it, if I offer the money and can take her to take it. That's where she strikes me as wiser than Mr. Rash, for all she don't know but so little. That much she knows by instinct. Then what am I going to do? Now, that, that'd be for Mr. Rash to sigh. If it was me... 
The necessity for getting an armchair exactly beneath a portrait seemed to cut this sentence short. "'Well, if it was you, what then?' "'Before I give her money, I teach her the hang of our kind of life, like. That's what she's aching and crying for. A born lady she is, and anchoring after a lady's wise, and with no one to learn em to her.' "'But, good heavens, I can't do that!' "'No, Mr. Rash, but I could.' "'if you was to leave her here for a bit. "'I could learn her to be a lady in the course of a few weeks, "'and her so quick to pick up. "'Then if you was to set a little income on her, she wouldn't—' "'Allison took the bull by the horns. "'She wouldn't be so likely to go to the bad. "'That's what you mean, isn't it?' "'Moving behind Allerton, who continued to stand on the hearthrug, "'Steptoe began poking the embers, making them safe for the night.' "'Did Mr. Rash ever notice that going to the bad, as he calls it, "'ain't the sign for them as have nothing as it looks to them as have everything? "'When you're hungry for food, you hate the first thing you can lie your hands on. "'When you're hungry for life, you do the first thing as'll promise you the good you're looking for. "'What people like you and me is happy to call going to the bad "'ain't mostly no more than anchoring for good which nothing don't seem to feed.' Allerton smiled. "'That sounds to me as if it might be dangerous doctrine.' "'What excuses the poor will often seem dangerous doctrine to the rich, Mr. Rash?' "'Our kind is awful afraid of their kind, getting a little bit of what they're looking for, and especially here in America. When we've took them for most of the means of having a little pleasure lawful, we call it dangerous if they take it unlawful-like, and we go to work and pass laws against them.' "'protecting it against themselves, we say it is, "'and we go at it with a gun. "'But we're talking of of the young lady, sir, quite so. "'It's on her account as I'm saying what I'm saying. "'You ask me if I think she'll go to the bad "'in case we turn her out, and I say that—' "'Adderton started. "'There's no question of our turning her out. "'She's sick of it. "'Then that'd be my point, wouldn't it, sir? "'If she goes because she's sick of it, why then, natural like, she'll look somewhere else for what, for what she didn't find with us. You may call it going to the bad, but it'll be no more than trying to find in a wrong way what life has denied her in a right one. Adderton, who had never in his life been asked to bear moral responsibility, was uneasy at this philosophy, changing the subject abruptly. Where did she get the clothes? Uh, me and her, Mr. Rash, went to Margot's this morning and bought a bunch of them. "'The deuce you did! And you use my name?' Uh, "'No, sir,' Stepto returned with dignity. "'I use mine. I didn't give no handle to gossip. I pied for the things out of some money I had in hand—my own money, Mr. Rash—and had them all sent to me. I thought as we was making a mistake the young lady had better be looked proper while we was making it, and I knew Mr. Rash would feel the same.' The situation was that in which the finiant king accepts the act of the mayor of the palace because it is Hobson's choice. Moreover, he was willing that she should have the clothes. If she wouldn't take money, she would at least apparently take them, which in a measure would amount to the same thing. He was dwelling on this bit of satisfaction when Steptoe continued. "'And as long as the young lady reminds with us, Mr. Rash, I thought it would be discreeter like not to have no more women poking about.' "'and trying to find out what had better not be known. "'It makes it simpler as she herself has to be called Miss Gravely.' 
"'Oh, she does?' Uh, "'Yes, sir. "'And that's what I've told William and Golightly, "'the waiter and the chef, is her name. "'It makes it all plain to them.' "'Plain? "'Why, they'll think. "'No, sir, they won't think. "'When it comes to what's no one's business "'but your own women thinks, "'men just accepts. "'They takes things for granted "'and don't feel it none of their affair.' "'Mr. Rashel have noticed that there's a, a different kind of honour among women "'from what there is among men. "'I don't sigh, but what the women's is all right, "'only the men's is easier to get on with.' "'There being no response to these observations, "'Steptoe made ready to withdraw. "'And uh, shall you stay home for breakfast, sir?' "'I'll see in the morning.' "'Very good, sir. "'I've locked up the house and seen to everything, "'if you'll switch off the lights as you come up. "'Good night, Mr. Rash.' Good night. End of chapter 13